to the Jeff Becomes Jeff podcast. I am Jeff, of course, your host. It has actually been several days since I've done anything podcast related. Well, at least up until last night when I started doing show prep for this episode. But I'm finding that Coda, the puppy, she's almost six months old now. And she's gotten a lot more manageable and self-entertaining at times. I've also got her on a much more consistent routine with napping. Like right now, she's napping. It's 9.30 at night. I'll let her out again in a little bit, and then she'll be out until we go to bed. But because she has become more manageable, that means that I'm not constantly having to keep myself just in the studio slash office and kind of pinned to the computer so that while I'm keeping her entertained, I can try and get some stuff done and keep me from going crazy with the crazy puppy. Also, I have been writing and posting some more short comedy songs on TikTok, so that has taken up some of my time in the recent nights. But I know I can't really take too much time off because I do also have Bad Red, Bad Blue, my political podcast, which actually this is the second Jeff Becomes Jeff podcast I've done in a row. I was going to pretty much alternate them, but I was just in the mood to do something a little more lighthearted on this episode and didn't really want to deal with political bullshit right now. It's not a ton of fun given the current landscape of things, but I do think it's important that I discuss a lot of this stuff from an equal perspective from the center of the aisle, not either side of the aisle, so I'm going to keep going with that, but I'll jump back to Bad Red, Bad Blue after this episode. Boring! And you're like, why are you telling us all this, Jeff? You're boring the shit out of us. My bad! So we are coming up on Memorial Day here in America, and when this episode comes out, it'll either be right before Memorial Day or even on Memorial Day. And being that it's going to be a holiday weekend, in my last episode I mentioned that I'm kind of interested in doing an episode of this podcast where I look at all of the holidays, both on a daily basis and also like month, like Black History Month, Gay Pride Month, things like that. But of course, we have all kinds of ridiculous, it's National Donut Day. So that's the stuff I want to look at and just see how stupid it is that we have to make days designated to celebrate certain things that have nothing to do with that day, that month. It's actually going to feel a little weird on Monday to have the day off from the school because I just don't take days off from the school. I mean, they're closed two days a week on Friday and Sunday, but I'm door dashing on those two days, so I never really take a day off. But it's definitely going to feel weird to me to not have to go to the school. I suck at relaxing. Not good at it at all. That's why here it is, 9.40 p.m. on a Wednesday night, and the puppy is locked in the crate napping. Most people would be like, I'm going to go sit in a recliner and watch some TV. But no, I'm up here working, just making a podcast just for the shit of it, to entertain myself and a handful of you out there in the world. Speaking of which, if you enjoy this podcast, please let people know about it. Share it. Make sure that you click subscribe wherever you listen. Go follow me on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Jeff Becomes Jeff. It would be greatly appreciated. All right, so we'll jump right into this topic. This is going to be an educational episode for you. I'm sure all of you know how much I love educational shit and researching and learning. And what actually prompted me to come up with the idea for this topic was I was, for some reason, thinking about eggs. 
like cooked eggs. And this is just how my brain works. I'm thinking, who was the first person that decided, hey, I noticed that some of these eggs aren't fertilized and they're not hatching. I wonder if this egg that came out of this chicken's butt, well, I know not their butt, but okay, whatever, came out of their back end. I wonder if I crack this open and eat it, what will it taste like? Maybe I can cook it and prepare it different ways. But it just always strikes me odd at some of the inventions, the things we have, foods, things that, who was the first person? What prompted someone to go to the point where now we know that eggs are edible and have protein in them and there's multiple ways to prepare them? But who was the first person that had that idea? Because that was a sicko, in my opinion. Let's take eggs a little further. Who had the idea to use eggs as a binding agent in things like meatloaf or meatballs? Man, this meat just keeps crumbling right off my fork. Maybe if I add this slimy, slippery egg to the mixture, it'll stick together better. Well, it does. It works. I just don't know what person decided to even try it for us to know that it works. That's weird. So, of course, that got my brain going on just a slew of different things, like how in the hell is that there? How's that even exist? And most of this stuff is things that we just take for granted every single day, and we don't think about it. And I'm already going to tell you in advance that I finally got to a point with the show prep where I'm like, you know what? I cannot just keep going on and on and on with stuff on this episode. So there is a chance that there will be a part two to this topic. Not the next episode, but at some point in the future, because there's a lot more that I didn't get to in this episode's worth of show. Prep. So not everything that I'm going to mention on this show that I think is like, wow, that's weird. I'm not going to research and go into deep detail about every single thing. So there's going to be some things I'm just going to kind of list off so that you can be pondering to yourself. Well, that is weird. So first thing I'm going to talk about are the pyramids in Egypt. Now, I'm not going to go into a total deep dive on this, but I am going to examine it a little bit. Just kind of point out how crazy it is that these things even exist. Not to mention the fact that they were built a long time ago. When there was no machinery, this was all done by men. Well, slaves. So each pyramid took roughly 15 to 30 years to build, depending on the size of that pyramid. And that kind of makes sense because, well, they didn't have machinery. If someone were to try and build one of those pyramids today with modern technology, one source that I found said that it would take about five years and cost about $5 billion. That's still a pretty long time. So the fact that they did some of those in 15 years just with men, pretty impressive. Let's look even more at why that's so freaking crazy. Well, the average weight of each stone in a pyramid is two and a half tons. That would be 5,000 pounds. Let's not forget that, you know, you have to first perfectly shape the stone with that necessary slope to create the pyramid effect. So again, 5,000 pounds average per stone in a pyramid. The Great Pyramid in Egypt is estimated to use about 2.3 million stones. At two and a half tons each, that would be a total of 11.5 billion pounds that were shaped and moved. Let's not forget that the further they got with building the pyramid, the higher they had to pull the stones up. And again, going back to the Great Pyramid, that is 481 feet high. Let's not even talk about the foundational stones or things that they did underground, but the height of the Great Pyramid is roughly the equivalent of a 50-story building. So by the time you get to those top stones, you are pulling stones that weigh 2.5 tons each up a 50-friggin-story building. I don't know. Seems a little... Cuckoo! That would be half the height of the Eiffel Tower and over a third of the height of the Empire State Building. They were working those slaves real hard. That's the sound of the men working on the chain. 
game That's the sound of the men working on the chain Gang, all day long they're saying So some other things that kind of crossed my mind that I didn't do a deep dive on that I still think, like, how did those even exist? Like, cooked meat. I don't know. Like, who was the first person that thought, I'm going to kill this animal. We're going to stick it over a fire for a period of time. I'm going to guess what happened is that maybe an animal fell into a fire and people were like, that smells good. Well, I guess that really wouldn't work because it would just smell like burning hair for the longest time. But again, you know, how did it start? Were people trying to eat raw meat? Were they getting sick? Was it hurting them? Was it killing them? And then who was the person who's like, well, I know this stuff is constantly killing us, but what if we set fire to it and then eat it? Who had that idea? Who tried that? And remember, this was at a time when intellect was not exactly very high. Speaking of trial and error with food, I mean, let's just look at safe versus unsafe foods that are found in the wild, like berries or plants, vegetables, fruits. Some of them can kill you. So obviously it was a trial and error type of situation, but sucks if you're the person that was part of the error in the equation. Hey, these berries look delicious. You're going to have a couple of these. Let's talk about horseshoes. I mean, it seems to me like that was just a really risky son of a bitch that decided to try horseshoes. I mean, the horses have hooves, so they already have a protective coating for their legs or their feet. I guess the hoof is the foot, but still, that person that was brave enough to say, you know what, I'm going to get some iron, make this shape, and I'm going to nail it into the horse's foot. (laughs) Guessing the guy who did that the first time, a little bit nervous. Maybe he didn't survive. I don't know. I didn't research this. Again, just seems like a very weird thing to be like, hey, I'm going to just try nailing shit into the bottom of a horse's foot. All right, so now I'm going to take a deep dive into some things. We're going to start with something that is just every day, constantly around us, totally taken for granted. That would be glass. I mean, think about it. How much glass are you surrounded by? I mean, a lot. Windows, your phone screen, plates, bowls, glasses that we drink out of. Yeah, I mean, duh. They're called glasses because they're made out of glass. Speaking of glasses, let's not forget glasses for your eyes. Don't worry. We'll get to those in a little bit. So how many of you know how glass is made? Because it seems pretty basic. We're surrounded by it. You would think that most of us would have a vague understanding as long as glass has been around of how glass is made. I will say say that going into this in my show prep, I had a vague understanding of how glass was made, but not in detail. If you would have asked me before doing the show prep what my thought was on how glass was made, I would have said, I think it has to do with compressing and heating sand. And I was kind of right. But basically what glass is, is melted sand, limestone, and soda ash. I don't even know what soda ash is, but that seems like an odd combination that someone decided, hey, what happens if I take lime? Limestone, soda ash, and sand, just those three things, and get them real hot. What's going to happen? And this is another one of those where it's like, is this an invention or a discovery? Because it really is just a chemical reaction. So to me, it's more of a discovery than an invention. So how long has glass been around? I appreciate you asking. So it was invented slash discovered about 4,000 years ago, or roughly 2000 BC. So that's a long time ago. 
Oddly enough, that wasn't that far off from the time that the pyramids were made. People were on a roll back then. Now, despite being discovered or invented that long ago, glass wasn't really commonly used, like, for windows or other things until 100 AD, so only 1900 years ago. So that's kind of weird that for basically 2,000 years, despite people knowing how to make glass, it just wasn't really being used. Now, I guess that makes some sense because the process of making glass, well, can be kind of tricky. So instead of using a glass bowl for your food, why not just use a coconut husk or something made out of wood? It's a hell of a lot easier than making glass. So speaking of making glass, I'm like, well, I mean, surely that's something I can make at home. It's been around this long. I mean, it's basically three things that need to be heated up. How hard can that be? So here's how you would make glass at home. You need quartz sand, soda ash, and limestone readily available. I don't know what the balance is between them. I didn't look that up. Also, you would need an oven that goes up to 3,090 degrees. This will essentially give you molten glass. At that point, you still have to shape it and cool it, which also sounds like a very risky thing because the shit is over 3,000 degrees hot. But again, this goes back to the person that discovered glass 4,000 years ago. Not only is it weird of the circumstances that they had sand, limestone, and soda ash all mixed together in the appropriate quantities, but how in the fuck 4,000 years ago did that person managed to heat the glass to 3,090 degrees. And you might be thinking, well, they just put it in a fire. Well, did they? Because let me tell you that, you know, obviously we know with a fire that there's a color scheme with fire. The blue, you know, the core of the flame being the hottest. Then it gets to kind of white flame. Then it gets to orange yellow. And then the red is around the tips. The hottest part, the blue flame, only gets up to about 2,600 to 3,000 degrees. We need 3,090. So you need hotter than a blue flame. How in the hell did they manage to make this happen. I don't get it. All right, so let's move on from glass, kind of. We're going to talk about glasses, the things for your eyes. So I kind of think this is weird. I mean, when you think about how glasses work just in the foundational ideology and principles, people figured out a way to correct poor natural vision by making you look through distorted glass, which filtered your eyesight and corrected it. What? And yes, this is one of those things we take for granted. We don't really think about it. We just go to the optometrist, we get our glasses, and that's it. Number one or number Number two. Number two or number three? Let me see number two again. Number two or number three? They're pretty much the same. Number three or number four? So despite glass itself becoming commonly used around 1900 years ago in 100 AD, glasses were presumed to have been invented around the 1200s. There is no inventor that is known for inventing glasses, which sucks because that person is getting no credit for something that is a pretty significant invention. Now, glasses are believed to have first appeared in Italy, but also pretty much showed up simultaneously in Europe and Asia. That's kind of weird on these two massive continents that the invention of glasses just showed up at the same time. Number three or number four? Now, let me clarify that glasses originally, when they were first invented, they were basically only made for older people who were having a hard time seeing things close up, you know, kind of like a way we use a bifocal or a magnifying glass. Also, the glasses back then, they did not stay on 
your face, you had to hold them up to your face to use them, like a magnifying glass. Speaking of a magnifying glass, that was considered to have first been used in Europe in 1268, so basically the same time period. So in the next century, in the 1300s, a frame was invented that allowed the wearers of glasses to do it hand-free. Well, now they're wearers. They weren't before. They were holders. And this was from an invention called a, I'm going to butcher this, pince-nez, I don't know, something. But it translated to pinch nose, and it used spring tension to clamp the glasses onto the bridge of one's nose. That sounds comfortable. So that was the 1300s. Let's move ahead to the 1430s when the printing press was invented. Another thing, I'm not going to go into detail, but that's crazy. But by having the printing press and now printed materials, it created a bigger need for glasses because people realize, oh shit, I can't read what's on this paper. And up until that point, glasses were pretty much just sold by street vendors and the lenses were selected based on the age of the customer. And all of the lenses were convex lenses for farsighted people, which meant that they had a hard time seeing things that were closer to them. At the time, no one ever really was considering that anyone couldn't see far away, or as we know it now, being nearsighted. And I'm going to be honest, let's consider that the introduction of glasses may have evolutionarily changed our human trajectory, making glasses more common and needed in later generations. Because clearly people lived for thousands and thousands and thousands of years without them, so perhaps as they became more commonplace and people started using them, well, it kind of, our eyes adapted and would just start going bad and failing because our bodies knew that there was a way to correct it. I don't know. Maybe that's a stupid thought, but who knows? All right, so let's jump ahead almost 200 years later to 1604, where Johann Kepler discovered that a concave style, the opposite of convex, had the opposite effect of the convex lens. Duh, it's opposite. And now all of a sudden we had glasses or lenses for people who were nearsighted and couldn't see far away very well. In the mid-1700s, arms were added to glasses. Yeah, that's right. 400 years of dealing with the nose pinchers. 400 years. That's a long time of people having glasses clamped to their fucking nose and no one thought, there's gotta be a better way. And back then, 400 years, that's like 10 generations of people. That means that a great, 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 great grandfather wore the same nose pinchers as his great, 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 great grandson. At this point, you know, glass had been around commonly for 1,500 years. And the idea to put arms on glasses took 400 of those years. As impressive as it is that people came up with this shit, people were kind of stupid back then. And then moving forward, the last thing I'll discuss about glasses that there were more developments like bifocals, which I mentioned earlier. Those were invented by Benjamin Franklin in 1784. Then in 1827, lenses were developed for those with an astigmatism. That would be what I have, which is I'm neither nearsighted or farsighted. I'm fucked both ways. Now, luckily for me, my vision is not that bad. I can take my glasses off and I can still pretty much survive. Also, we're at a point now where we have way lighter frames, more designer frames. So there have been a ton of improvements with glasses in just the last 200 years. All right, let's move on. Let's look at photography. This one blows my friggin' mind. 
because basically someone figured out how to capture what appears through a lens, more glass, the way that our eyes work. Also, that makes me question, how do our eyes work? Yes, I'm sure I could research that. I know the basic gist of it, but it's still very weird. But even weirder is making a machine that emulates a mysteriously working eyeball. That's crazy. Let's also not forget that today we still do not have artificial eyeballs. We can't take someone who's blind and put artificial eyeballs in them. We figured out how to emulate eyeballs. Why can't we just make eyeballs? But anyway, let's take a deep dive into the history of the invention of photography and how that shit even exists. So the first official photograph was taken in 1826, not that long ago, by a French scientist, Joseph Nicafor. Nicafor, Nicafor, I don't know. This is going to get real nerdy, people, so just strap in. So photography was discovered based on two fundamental principles. One is called camera obscure, which is basically a principle that says that rays of light travel in straight lines, but change when reflected or partially absorbed by an object, and this is what displays information about the color and brightness of that surface. This is basically the same method that the human eyeball uses to see, to process color and light. The other principle is the observation that some substances are visibly altered by light. Now, a couple hundred years prior to the first actual photograph in the 1600s, an Italian chemist determined that powdered silver nitrate was blackened by the sun, and thus showing that contrast could be created by light and or heat. Again, how the fuck did that happen? Who was just messing around with powdered silver nitrate, left it out in the sun and came back and was like, wow, that shit got dark. And people messed around with this whole silver shit for a while. But a friend of the French scientist, Joseph whatever, but Joseph's friend created the first usable method and that was how he was able to generate the first official photograph in 1826. And again, remember that I just skipped over hundreds of years of discoveries related to light, silver iodide, silver bromide, silver chloride, and a ton of other shit that bored me on sight and caused me not to look it up any further. Yet somehow, back then, people figured this shit out. I'm not even sure if there were flushing toilets back then. Now, also remember that we see everything upside down and our brain processes it right side up. That's fucking weird. But if everything is always upside down and we perceive it as right side up, isn't it possible that everything is right side up and we perceive it as upside down? Did I just blow your mind? But cameras pretty much use the same general scientific philosophy and used to use mirrors. Well, I mean, some they still do like actual cameras, but now we have digital cameras, which basically emulate the mirror. But that's just really weird to think about that everything that comes into our eyeballs is the exact opposite of what our brain is telling us. So right now, I guess I'm technically sitting on the ceiling. All right, so we're going to jump forward to 1861. That was the first official color photo. Now, it wasn't a color photo. What it was was it was a photo using three plates in RGB, basically red, green, and blue. And I know this from my background in graphic design that there's basically two methods to create colors. There's what's called RGB or CMYK. RGB uses the palette red, green, and blue, and then you get blends of colors between those three primary colors. CMYK uses C, cyan, M, magenta, Y, yellow, and K, black. Well, then fucked up. Why isn't it C? CMYB. But CMYK is the preferred method used if you're going to print something because it gives you a much 
much wider range of colors than RGB does from a print perspective. RGB is what is commonly used for like web design or things that are going to be digital or viewed on a screen, not printed. That's weird. We have two completely different color processes depending on the application. So let's take photography a little further. Moving photography. Because remember that TV and film, that's just a bunch of images captured at so many frames per second and then just played really fast to recreate the illusion of movement, of motion. We're not actually capturing motion. And speaking of TVs, most households in the United States did not even own a color television until 1969. That was just six years before I was born. The first color broadcast on television was 1951, 18 years prior, but it took a while to catch on. And just because the technology exists to make it, well, people won't see the color programming if they can't afford a color television or they're not manufacturing color television. So at the time, they probably weren't really spending a lot of money and effort on making color programming. Like, think about The Wizard of Oz. That was made in 1939 and was colorized later. Like, meticulously, they went back frame by frame, cell by cell, and they painted it, basically. They colored the frames. We represent Probably one of the reasons why The Wizard of Oz is so famous because that was a lot of work. That's the sound of the men working on the chain. Gang. But now here we are in 2023 and we have cameras everywhere. These things have better clarity than our human eyes. They have automatic filters to just, here, try this option, try that option. And a slew of settings that can make the image look vastly different from one setting or filter to another. Just with the tap of a finger, that's weird. And remember that we don't have prosthetic eyeballs that work, that we can send the image to the brain. We have this much camera technology emulating the human eyeball. Why isn't anyone putting this into practice for people who are blind? And that really has to suck for blind people walking through life knowing everyone around them has a device in their pocket that has the ability to see, yet they don't. That would be like a person with an amputated leg going into a restaurant and all of the patrons in the restaurant have a spare leg clipped to their belt loop. That was a horrible analogy. All right, so sorry, I got really focused on glass and then glasses and vision, then taking vision a step further to photography. You can see why I need to do a second episode. But let's go back to a non-deep dive list of shit that is just, again, how in the hell does this shit even exist? Who figured this shit out? Like refined oil that is used a lot. There are wars over it. All right, let's look at gasoline. Gasoline is basically crude oil broken into various petroleum products through a process of fractional distillation. Who in the fuck figured that out? And why? What was the purpose? I'm going to take this crude oil, I'm going to break it into various petroleum products. I'm going to use this process I figured out called fractional distillation. And voila, we have gasoline. Here is some for your vehicle. And sadly, the people that figured this stuff out, uh, they probably didn't get laid that often because they were too busy thinking about fractional distillation and petroleum products. If anything, that that makes me feel better about the fact that I haven't been touched by a woman for years. Maybe I'm brilliant as well. 
What about satellites and GPS? Just sending shit out into space and completely defying gravity. Again, crazy shit. The internet. I mean, not only the concept, but actually somehow figuring out a way to get cabling in the ground. Did anyone see this happen back in the late 90s, early 2000s? Did anyone see, like, work crews going through and, like, just fucking digging up all of America to lay cable for the internet? I didn't. Now, I was pretty young when cable television was introduced, but that's the same thing, because a lot of people will say, well, they didn't have to lay new cable because they're using coax, which is the kind of screw-on cable that you would use for a cable box. I keep saying cable to mean an actual cable, and then cable to mean cable television and service. This is getting muddled. But again, that had to have been a pretty big undertaking back when cable television was introduced to be able to provide people a coax feed. Every single home in America has to have a line running out of the walls into the ground through the earth back to some central location or box in the neighborhood, which then that box has to send another wire out to the company that is sending the signal for you to receive your cable television. That just seems like a crazy undertaking. Did any of you who are maybe in their 50s or 60s, do you remember seeing all kinds of digging, just tearing up the entire earth? to lay this coax cable. Now we have fiber optic cable under the ground, which is faster than coax, but again, never saw anyone destroying the earth to lay the fiber optics. Where did they come from? And thus, how does that shit even exist? Let's look at beer. Who figured that shit out? Or wine. Like, it's all fermented shit. What does fermented mean? Means something went bad. It would be like if I went into my cheese and meat drawer in my refrigerator and I ate a piece of cheese that was expired and it made me feel really weird. And then I was like, why do I feel so weird? And I went and looked at the cheese and was like, oh, well, it's been expired for two months. Guess I have food poisoning. What would we do? We would throw the cheese away. We're not going to say, I'm going to have another slice. I kind of like feeling this weird. But even wine, I mean, the whole process of, like, people stomping on grapes with their bare friggin' feet, and then waiting for that juice to ferment. Again, just very weird. How did people figure this shit out, and why? Alright, to keep this from turning into a crazy long episode, I'm gonna discuss one last thing in greater detail. And again, I'm probably going to revisit this episode with a sequel, as I think of more things that I want to go research and look into and figure out how in the hell does that even exist. So finally, we're going to talk about electricity. Yes, something we all take for granted. 1.21 gigawatts! 1.21 gigawatts! Great Scott! All of our lives pretty much revolve around electricity. If electric service around the nation just completely went out tomorrow, indefinitely, how would that affect you? Pretty much completely. You couldn't cook, couldn't cool or heat your home, couldn't light your home, couldn't charge your phone, which wouldn't matter because there would be no internet service without electricity, couldn't watch TV, couldn't charge your fancy electric car, and even if you have a car that is a combustion engine, well, the gas stations need electricity to deliver the fuel to your gas tank, so not getting any gas. Which also brings me to the idea that if you have a generator to provide electricity, well, that operates on gas. Can't get the gas, can't operate your generator. All of this to say, if we lost electricity, we would be completely fucked. 
So Benjamin Franklin, the inventor of the bifocal, was actually credited with discovering electricity in 1752. And we all know the story. He tied a key, a metal key, to a kite and flew it in a thunderstorm to discover electricity. Well, not discover. I mean, that's what the lightning was. It was right there. You could see it. And let's be honest. This story about Benjamin Franklin with his kite and the lightning is bullshit. I can't get a kite to fly on a just naturally windy summer day, let alone in a freaking thunderstorm? So that shit never happened. And once again, electricity is one of those things where it's a discovery, not an invention, because it exists without having to generate it. We just needed to figure out how to harness it. So we're going to jump ahead 126 years later, the first light bulb was patented in 1878 by Thomas Edison, the biggest patent thief in history. Because, of course, he did not invent the filament for a light bulb. He was simply only perfecting versions of previous discoveries and patents over the previous 127 years. The first battery actually dates back to 2,000 years ago. So Edison didn't fucking invent shit. Step off, Thomas Edison. And I do want to remind everybody that, you know, we look at electric cars like, oh, they're saving our environment. The generation of electricity is actually the number one threat to the ozone layer in the world. So not really fixing anything. We're just robbing Peter to pay Paul. In the end, it's all going to come back and bite us in the ass. All right. That's all I have to say about electricity. But again, I want you guys thinking about, you know, holy shit, how does this or that even exist? What weirdo decided to figure this out or try this or try that if you have any ideas that you would like me to research and discuss on a follow-up episode to this topic again go follow me on social media tiktok instagram twitter or facebook at jeff becomes jeff send me a comment a message whatever and i will be happy to research it and look into it on a future episode once again please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are listening on go check out bad red bad blue my political podcast also on all platforms and please subscribe to that as well all right that's all i have to discuss thank you everyone for continuing to tune into the jeff becomes jeff podcast until next time i'm jeff and i'm jeff That's the sound of the men working on the chain game. Good night. Went to the devil and I prayed. And I showed him the mess that I made And I cried and I cried and I cried a million times over But the devil just laughed in my face I went to the God of Fire And said, can you turn the heat a little higher? Cause I've been burned and I've been burned a million times over Covered me with water So I went to the Lord of the sea Said, won't you come wash over me Cause the roads and the woods Have been winding a million times over
receded from me Covered him with water from the lake. 